Archive 81 may sound like Netflix's latest spin on 2020 or 48 hours, but it's actually a mystery, psychological, possibly supernatural horror series. In the pilot, we get shaky cam, eerie music, heavy breathing, a shady big brother company, a main character with a history of mental illness placed in a highly stressful environment where he's forced to relive his past, and, quite possibly, a fire demon. Welcome back to the show. It's January 16th, and you're listening to today's episode. We've all seen those restoration videos on the internet before where they take like a painting or furniture and like it looks crappy and old and decrepit and they are somehow able to through a process of different methods put it all back together and and make it look really wonderful so you have these old tapes of, of film that are, are spoiled and and this guy's job dan's job in this show he takes these old tapes or cassettes or whatever he's using the film and he just like unspools it and then he like retwines it and then he unscrews stuff and puts it all together and it all looks great at the end. And it's actually pretty satisfying to watch. <laughs> so I, I like that part of the show. But uh, that's his job. That is Dan. That is our main character. Right. And this is based off of a podcast. I actually listened to the first three Mystery episodes. Signals. No, I think it's Archive 81, the same same name. And oh. I've listened to the first three episodes just to kind of get a good sense of it. And it's not film in the podcast. It's it's, it's like uh, just audio tapes. So he's listening to like audio tapes of something that happened in 1994. There's also so many Melody in this show, yeah. right? Melody Pendross, she is the main character from 1994. However, it's not tapes. It's definitely video throughout because you're on a visual medium now. Mystery Signals, the reason I was asking if that was the name of the podcast is because his friend owns a podcast or plays a podcast. He's the host of one, and it's called Mystery Signals, hence the title of the first episode. His friend, okay, yes. His friend is like the get-out friend where he's all isolated somewhere and he has to call him. In the podcast, the main character, Dan, you hear him for a good, because like the podcasts are about 15 minutes long, you hear him for a majority of the time, but always at the very end of the podcast, you have Mark Solinger come in and be like, this is the last time we heard Dan, if you have any information, please let me know, and also share this with your friends and family, just to get the word out about Dan, even though it's not based on like an actual experience. So I think that... So you don't see Mark interact with Dan at all inside the podcast? No, he's just a friend that like always shows up at the very end. So he's like the dear Zachary friend, who makes the post is yeah. missing right okay so yeah I know, I know exactly where that's going then because in the first episode you kind of get the grid layout of everything that's going on and i'll talk about the good and the bad if, if you want yeah sure go ahead so the good i'll start with the first shot we get this drone shot of the flat iron building in new york and i really like that introduction because then the drone like sunk in and we actually watched it go straight to like a street vendor and that street vendor wasn't selling what you'd expect like oranges or like hot dogs not a food street vendor but actually like a vhs guy oh, okay. he was just selling VHSs that he didn't know what were on them. <laughs> and so Dan knows this guy. He gets a few VHSs. He leaves. Anyways, really cool shot in New York. And I really like those scenes because I just like seeing the city. I wouldn't trust anyone just selling random VHS tapes. Well, he knew like... the guy. And also oh, okay. in the Flatiron building, like when I was there, which was a while ago, but I remember there was like this exhibit that was going on where there were just naked statues placed around the city in random spots like on top of roofs. So like you would look up and you would just see this like bronze statue staring at you and it was like naked. That feels like a <laughs> there was blank. just a bunch of them. Yeah, it was it was kind of like that. But that, I think this was way back in like 2010 when they were doing it. And it was just the weirdest thing to like stumble upon because there was one right in front of the Flatiron building, I remember. Uh, yeah, so Dan is just an unassuming guy. And sometimes in a TV show like this where he's supposed to be the lead, that can be bad because it's like he doesn't 
have a distinguishable trait. He doesn't push himself into people's lives. He's not like overly charismatic or anything. He just he's just he's just a dude, right? Yeah. It's also the safer route though because he doesn't piss people off. You know, he he's not too annoying or anything. He kind of is just a guy who who wants to get the job done. He's offered this thing worth $100,000 from a company that he doesn't know, very shadowy called LMG and they're in New York. So you see, you see him like try to apply for the job. No, he works somewhere else. He gets a tape from LMG to reconstruct or whatever. And he does such a good job that they want to hire him, right? Yeah. For $100,000. And they tell him, we're going to put you out in the middle of like nowhere. And you're just going to work on these things. And it's about a fire in 1994. Um, and uh, it, in this building in New York that burned down, there were 13 missing people at the end of it. Yeah, see, in the podcast, he's just automatically there. It's his first night on the job, and he's, like, speaking to someone about what he's going to do, and then he just starts listening to the audio files. It didn't feel forced. The background did not feel forced. It felt needed. Mm -hmm. If I would seen him there, there the first day of the job, I would have been very confused. <laughs> so the boss, though, is kind of shady as well because the company we don't know anything about, and there's nothing about them online. They know about him. They know about his past, how he also, his family died in a fire, and he had, like, a mental breakdown mm -hmm. but this guy's named martin donovan um in real life he's the guy from weeds and ant-man uh in the show i think his name is virgil so they send him off to this isolated re research facility dan mm -hmm. right against what mark wants mark's like no man just come work for me in the podcast right now <laughs> so <laughs> so the isolated research facility though reminds me so much of the ex machina concrete building that he had you know, yeah, but that was, like, that was shut down, though. Like, that was, like, a, yeah, a lot of security to yeah, it. Yeah, so does this. This is, like, an abandoned research facility, concrete everywhere. The doors are locked. There's no cell phone, no internet. There's robots, right, just roaming around? No, there's no robots. <laughs> but it's fenced in, like, literally a fence with barbed wire at the top. Uh, he's not able, again, to get through many of the doors. He's given a mental-slash-physical alarm-like beeper that if he finds himself in trouble, he should press. And the landline that they give him is tapped, which he finds out pretty early because he can hear the breathing on the other end. It's pretty creepy, but he has to weigh the cost and benefits of how much money he's making and that he's only going to be there a short amount of time from what he's being told. That said, it feels like if this company was on the up and up, it would have assigned more than just him at this one giant place because otherwise you're just going to drive yourself insane. And that's sort of where it's leading, leading to because it's like the psychological impending doom that he's feeling as he's working on so this So you stuff. actually feel doom for Dan. Like you feel like he could possibly, I don't know, lose his mind or something like that. Yeah, that's what they're hinting at heavily because, okay, so we have to talk about his past too. Um, but, but first let's talk about the clues to the 1994 fire that happened. So first you have the building, you have all these tapes with the melody uh, Pendross character who is is basically doing a documentary herself for her dissertation on the building and its people right mm -hmm. so it, before the fire she knows that the building that was before the Visser building was also burned down in like the 30s or something yeah. so she knows something's weird about the place and she's hearing eerie music at strange hours and the, the people don't want to open the door for her and because it's on shaky camera camcorder 1994 it also feels a little creepy but then it zooms out and it goes into like normal footage right so that like it, it goes between the two so you, as an audience member you don't so have you're to able stuff. to tell which one is yeah it's like not Blair Witch Project the whole time <laughs> And she also has the same dog that he had, like the exact same dog, Cleo. And he is wondering why that is. Oh, okay. All right. So it's like there could be like some possible time. Yeah, he already has on. this loose connection with this thing because of the fire that burned his own family down in the same year. But also now he knows that she had the same dog that he had. <laughs> so he's questioning this whole thing. He's asking Mark 
from his cell phone with the limited signal that he has to look up some of the residents at the 1994 Visser Hotel. And then he finds the Solaris movie while he's snooping around and trying to find things to do. Have you heard of the Solaris movie? No, I don't know what it is. Okay, so I had to look it up. It's The latest version was the 2002 Steven Soderbergh, George Clooney one. Um, but the what it, the one he found was like either the 1972 or 1968 Soviet version, which was highly acclaimed, about a skeleton crew of astronauts who are on a different planet, and they get a lot of flashbacks back to Earth, but mostly they're just falling into an emotional crisis as they are also alone. So it's kind of just a complete symbolism to what... So he chose to watch the thing that basically is happening to him. Well, I mean, the podcast, they always try to show, or at least in the first three episodes, that Dan is kind of losing his mind as well. But it doesn't work as well because it just... All he's doing is listening to these audio tapes. How do they show him losing his mind in the podcast? Like, you can just hear, like, when he's listening... Because every single episode is following one of the people that Melody is interviewing. Only one person. Yeah. Jess? Is Jess one of them? Uh, might She's like it. the main one, so she might She's the she may ninth be... grader or whatever. Oh, who maybe everybody not. knows. There's someone who like is is performing a lot of music, kind of like you were talking about, and I think it's that... like Channel Zero almost, where they took the. I think it could be compared to any type of creepypasta, like especially from what I was... it, the weird thing is, I never heard of a found footage podcast before. It sounded almost oh, oxymoronic. Limelight lime or whatever it's well, called. Lime, yeah, Limetown. Lime which Town. apparently, did you know that that was made in a TV show? It was, yeah. It was first off made by the same production company who worked on this one as well. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I didn't. I, I've I've heard of plenty of horror live action or um found footage ones. Yeah, but it's. It just feels like it kind of defeats the purpose. When I think of, like, found footage, I think of, like, any type of, like, Chronicle or you brought up Blair Witch Project. Not for a podcast, though. Even before podcasts on the radio, they would do kind of found footage things where you would be able to hear. They would make the sounds of the foots crunching as they were telling the story and I stuff. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I know that, like, Orson Welles with his, like, infamous War of the Worlds podcast did, like, that sort of thing. Mamadou Athi, he's the person who plays Dan in the show. He apparently listened to the first few episodes of the podcast, but Rebecca Sonenshine, uh, she's worked on stuff such as, um, like, Stranger Things, but the Lost Sister episode, the episode in season two that everyone wasn't a huge fan of, and Vampire Diaries. She was like, don't do that because we're going to drift away from kind of what the podcast does like it starts off generally the same but like apparently when it's you get, based on a podcast it is not the podcast right when you get deeper in a podcast and deeper in a television show things start to go awry in both but in completely different ways how ever. how long is the podcast how many episodes i think it's like 36 episodes or so okay. And I don't know if you know this, but how much of the first episode was in the... the well, first, how many people episode? does she interview in the show? Tamara, um, she interviews Jess. I think she interviews one other person, but then Jess disappears. Basically. Yeah, we, we might be... We does, are... does does the Melody person scream and get caught or something? like? Not yet, no. Okay, Not, nothing right. that crazy. Not in the first three episodes? No. <laughs> okay. They, they're probably going along at a bigger pace. How long was this episode? Like 42 minutes? Yeah, it was pretty long. It was it was, it was like an hour. The uh, the only last good thing that I'd have to say is that Sebastian the mouse comes into play. So he's finding that there's like a mouse eating his food. Mm-hmm. He traps it. It gets it by the tail and decides he's not going to kill it. So I, I call him Sebastian because of the rat catcher mouse. But he <laughs> keeps it and that's his friend. So he's not going to go insane because Every... he has his own rat. I said it before, but every, talking rat. every single show has, like, always just an animal. It feels like a, a lot of, like, screenwriters are like, oh, this is a good like way it. to kind of, like... Well, that's the point, though. You're supposed to like those type of things, right? It's supposed to be kind of funny and humorous. Yeah. Do you want me to get to the bad? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So, too many questions. First of all, there's a haunting. There's a kidnapping. 
uh, apartment conspiracy cover-up, weird research diary like Dharma, because he's being watched in the research facility. They there's show a up. camera. There's a camera that we see at the end where it's like every single room in the thing. It also feels very contrived. So you get this ultra-rich company, shady company that lives, it has its offices in New York that no one's ever heard of before. It targets one guy and then it sticks him in the middle of the forest in this giant lab slash prison to observe him and a rat as he uncovers the secrets to his own past. And at the same time, find out how they relate to the fires that could be supernatural in origin. It's, but but with, with a show like this, that's like trying. Isn't the just, first episode supposed to give you all those questions? It's not that the question, not just the question. It's also the fact of just like why would this company go through this amount of work on this one guy just to like cause him to go crazy? It just hmm. seems like unless he's just imagining it all. I don't understand why Dan is so important, even with his skill set. Is it a little bit like, obviously not with the haunting puppets, but like Five Nights at Freddy's, where it's like, it's just this one guy who's like kind of having to keep watch at this one place while doing like different tasks? No, he's not tasked at like keeping up the research facility. He just literally has one job, which is to reconstruct the film. All the food's there for him. He gets it every week. Um, it sounds like an easy job. It does. That's the that's the basis for it. But then it's like not only is the creepiness from where he is right now, which is like that he's fenced in, but more so from the 1994 stuff that he's watching. Like the more that you're, that's the only medium that you're bringing into your brain. At the same time, his dad shows up in one of the videos. Like at the very end, <laughs> just randomly to basically <laughs> to basically kidnap Melody. So he's he knows something up and, and and see this is another bad thing was the flashbacks for him were just him playing the piano playing some eerie song him walking his dog seeing the fire and then seeing his dad at the end it felt kind of forced and pointless that reminds me of clickbait where it's like Vegas they do a flashback for the main character of that episode and it really didn't add anything to the plot it they just kept on redoing it like we saw four different shots of him walking his dog like two different shots of him playing the piano and I, I get it you're trying to draw that emotion make it more dramatic but the visser building stuff the stuff that Melody was figuring out her stuff was more interesting in the flashbacks. So I think they should have just stuck with that. Would it have been more interesting, and you can tell me, if like they had just focused on Melody for the whole episode and then almost like a WandaVision at the very end, you realized that someone had been watching her the whole time on videotapes, would that have maybe worked or something like that? No, because we get it really, really early that she's just someone. And I don't think they have enough with Melody in this episode where that would... She only has like, I don't know, 12 minutes of airtime. Her story is interesting, though, because I told you she's doing the dissertation, but she's also looking for one of her friends. And then she makes friends with Jessica Lewis, who I said... And then she, Jessica has like a um, seizure uh, after basically admitting to her that um, everybody is pulled to the Visser building. Like they can't stop themselves like and lost that, almost did, did samuel tell her to bring it come there exactly like lost where samuel could be this like kind of jacob type figure where he's he's in control and he kind of like makes people come there <laughs> i i don't know that's why it, the supernatural aspect of it is so um disconcerting but also like intriguing uh i, I was mixed about the visitor apartments as a whole because some of the stuff is kind of cheesy you get the night chanting where she wakes up then she has like her own epileptic seizure the next time she hears it in tamara's room because tamara's like the opera singer who's like i was out yesterday but this is the song that i always play and it was the same song 
uh, stay away from the sixth floor. The janitor tells her to stay away from the sixth floor, so that was pretty cliche. But at the same time, he shows up at the end, too, with the dad to kind of, like, stop her when she was like, they took Jessica. <laughs> well, by the third episode, I, like, you start to get the sense in the podcast that it's a, like, cult. Like, are you getting that, you get that from here? the first episode? Yeah, okay. So, 13 bodies never recovered. 13 bodies could just be the cult. That's almost like the servant in that way. Like, maybe they just went off and they did their own thing. Uh, Limetown is also very similar in its cultish uh, fascination. Then you have Red Shirt Guy. Red Shirt Guy? You don't have a name for him? He shows up in the background while Dan is on the phone with Mark when he, like, finds signal. And you just see him walking in the background like uh, Dexter in the woods or something like that. And then, like, he never sees him. Dan, our main character, never sees him. Okay, so it's just for the audience. To yeah, see. there's a red shirt guy out there. Then you get Virgil. You still don't know what's up with him. The thing is, I see potential with the show. I actually enjoyed it. I want to see the next episode of it. I'd give it a 7 out of 10. But I'm afraid that I'm going to get burned. Well, it feels like there are so many of these shows where it's all these many, many, many questions. And then at the end of it, especially with found footage stuff... The, it just doesn't come to the conclusion that you want it to because there's just so many unanswered things. There's, like, a, there's a couple things about their views. One, I kept on looking at it and every single time I looked at the IMDb score, it kept on rising, which good. is usually not the way it is, but it stopped at 7.4. It has around 2,000 reviews, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, but a 58% audience score. And I was like, this might be something that the critics liked, but that the fans really uh, didn't like. But when I went on to Reddit, where usually fans are like kind of pretty open about how they felt about about a certain show or anything like that there was a lot of theories and it seemed like people are really intrigued with the show saying that it does a good job of being creepy and every single like a uh, newspaper headline i read was like this is something that you should definitely binge watch i'll say it ends with a, a huge cliffhanger like yeah, they want to get... tell me more than that right but but they want to get season two is, is all i was saying uh-huh it ends with maybe dan i don't feel like dan's gonna just walk away from this it seems like he's gonna get roped into it somehow but the thing about Limetown was it also just led to question after question after question. And it got old. The podcast did. I never watched the TV series. But but that's what I'm just afraid of with this. It feels like another Dharma Initiative type thing. It, I told you it also reminded me of the Get Out thing. It reminded me of Ex Machina a lot. Not just because of the building itself, but because of the seclusion of that building. Mm -hmm. Of being like hired to come out there and just be sort of alone. Except he had Oscar Isaac and the robot to hang out with. Now I get your joke. Uh, <laughs> and then the... Uh, <laughs> And then being watched, um, that, that feeling of being watched and having the cameras everywhere, also Ex Machina-ish. And then sort of clickbait-ish, too. Because at the beginning and the end, we see Melody staring at the camera, kind of like being like, help me, help me, blah, 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 type of thing. And she seems like she's in, in a real distressful situation. And so that were just from the limited amount of... Because you watch clickbait, right? Yeah. That was more about the torture. That's what I said. Yeah, it reminds me of clickbait where they had the flashback at the beginning and anybody didn't really add anything to her character. Yes. The, the thing is, uh, there's supposed to be someone from Orange is the New Black in this. Yeah, I can't place who that would be, though. Maybe they just weren't in the first episode. Well, they, they shot the show in Pittsburgh, even though it's supposed to take place in New York. They didn't just shoot in Pittsburgh, though, because the part that I saw with the drum shot had to be. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like a, a majority of it was shot in Pittsburgh and they shot it during lockdown. Uh, another thing that Rebecca. I mean, a lot of it's in the forest in the middle of like nowhere. So I, I don't think it would matter if it was Pittsburgh or Canada or wherever. Wherever's cheapest. <laughs> the the Daily Beast said, however, don't lean too heavily on their found footage. Can make the more the show proceeds down a single path and more it presents Melody's plight. 
Yeah, I was surprised how many times that Melody's camera, like, it just stopped being the function of what we were watching. And then it never got to the point where the camera turned off and we still saw footage. But I can see that happening later on. It's from 1994, right? That's where the footage is supposed to be from. Yes. Did you notice anything that was, like, out of place? I know on Reddit someone was like, the camcorders that they had in 1994. They kept showing it. So if that's the wrong camcorder, then they really should have paid more attention well like some people were in support of what he was saying but then someone commented that actually that sony came out with that camcorder in 1994 it looks i mean to me i wouldn't know but it looked like the camcorders that you would see in the 90s maybe a little smaller than some would suspect and maybe that's why they were like because they, they used to be really chunky and this one's kind of like handheld but i i did i do know that in the early 90s they did come out with sort of smaller portable ones the show at this point seems to be a big hit like viewership wise it seems to be like the top trending thing on netflix and so if yeah, anything... i'll keep watching until i give up on it but um <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised if i give up on it that's so, the only so thing saying... i'm warily optimistic that's why i would if i was so confident and i just wanted to base it like if i hadn't been burned so many times with other shows like this i would give this a what date. are some of the other shows that you're talking about that burned you the shows that come to mind persons unknown under the dome things like that where it's like it'll have an interesting question to start with like what's going on with dan why is he and then it'll just like lead into like ridiculousness and the writers get lazy or they just never had a semblance of an idea of what they wanted to end with lost like whatever from what i understand the show does like it kind of keeps its same amount of um a mystery and i don't think that i've read anything that says like as you go on the show gets any worse i, have I would just read... say don't start a show like this unless you have a planned ending and well, you know exactly again, what it, you want it's to do. based off of a podcast yeah, that did so have hopefully... an ending Hopefully that podcast ending was good because I told you Limetown had an ending and it wasn't good. Some people criticize the Melody character because they say that she makes dumb choices throughout the show. Did you get any of that in the first episode? I don't know. I'll spare judgment on Melody's character. She did have a few kind of weird lines, especially when Jess was taken and she decided like her best route was to like run around the hotel screaming as opposed to just trying to get out of there. I don't know. That's a weird thing. You, there's no backstory with it's Dan. It's like a mystery on top of it. No, there is backstory. No, with there's Dan. no. In the podcast, there's no backstory with Dan in the show. Really? Like, yeah. Like, he, you again, don't see him with just, the dog? Because no. the dog, I thought for a while, was the fire demon. I thought the dog was the one responsible. I thought that that was Samuel or something. No, no, there's no dog, at least in the first three episodes of the podcast. So they added the dog and they added... Yeah, and also it's just, it's literally just like her interviewing people for the first three episodes. Sure, there are people that are like, oh, this place is kind of weird and like there are weird people here that do things, but it's never like, oh my God, I see my dad suddenly like random or I hear my dad. Melody. Or yeah, or anything crazy, at least as of now, I'm, I'm sure it gets that way later on. The dad on. also has a weird scene where he like turns to his kid and is like stop playing that piano music because the kid is literally playing the eerie music <laughs> that was <laughs> just like how did the kid even know that yeah so there are plenty of questions and apparently it is distancing itself from the podcast um but i think that's our review we'll see you in the next episode thanks for listening to this one bye bye, bye.